Okay, uh, well, what we're going to do tonight is try to kind of wrap everything up. Um, we've covered a lot of terrain, and so tonight we'll be uh, aiming to be mostly practical in what we talk about. Um, what, what should we do with things that we have discussed thus far? So just by way of review, we've kind of laid out some of the context in which we're um, doing, carrying out the mission of Jesus, the Great Commission, which is to make disciples of all nations, and, and with a specific focus on discipling the next generation, that, that mission entrusted to the covenant community to tell the next generation, even the ones not yet born, so that they'll be able to pass on the truth of God's gospel to the next generation, even after them. And we've seen that there's a, a challenge more uh, recently with this dropout problem, two-thirds of young adults raised in the church uh, are leaving after high school graduation, and only one-third of that group is coming back, usually around marriage and having children. We talked about some of the factors contributing to that, and then we looked at the Bible. What's the model of ministry given to us in the scriptures? Uh, And thankfully, we're not left to kind of come up with our own design about what we ought to be doing or the message that we ought to be proclaiming, but we're, we're called to be faithful to the gospel and to believe that that really is the power of God unto salvation uh, for all who believe. And then last night we, we asked, what, what has the church in history done to reach the disconnected? And we looked at the example of uh, Jim Rayburn and Young Life, some positive things, some things we can be critical of, uh, but we saw out of that an emphasis on relational ministry, uh, his phrase, his popular phrase of winning the right to be heard, loving teenagers where they are, uh, going to where they are, investing in them, building relationships with them, demonstrating the love of Christ to them, uh, and then seeking to bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ through that. Uh, and so, it's an, and then we looked at a few takeaways from that, particularly the importance of relationships. Uh, among between adults and, and youth and young adults. So tonight we want to talk about just some practical things we might be able to do with all of this. But before we get into that, are there any questions from anything that we've talked about thus far, or anything that we need to clarify, or anything like that before we start? Is there a handout uh, Thank you. Why do I forget the handout every night? <clears throat> there are handouts, and then... Um, while I'm, I'm thinking about it, I'll reference an article later by Christian Smith, uh, an article that he wrote for the First Things Journal, which is kind of a, uh, I mean, I think it's a Catholic journal, but it, you have Catholic and Protestants writing for it. Uh, Christian Smith is, is uh, Catholic, but at any rate, it's a helpful article. I'm going to reference that later. I've got copies of it if you uh, want one. One writer named Wesley Black, uh, in, in writing about this particular problem of the dropouts, he says that the church needs to take heed of the advice that's often given when you're stepping from the platform onto uh, the subway in, in uh, England. Of course, they don't call it the subway, I think they call it the tunnel. Uh, but there's often a voice that comes over the speaker that says, mind the gap, right? Because there's a gap between the platform and uh, the train. And in a certain sense, that can be kind of the, the summary call to the church as we think about this, this dropout problem, that we need to try to mind the gap, particularly that gap between graduation from high school and reaching those benchmarks of adulthood. 
And, and what I want to try to talk about tonight is how, how to do that, but also how to think about it before you get to the gap. And we talked a little bit about that last night, things to do preventatively. So uh, the dropout problem is urging us to mind the gap between the high school and adult years. You might remember this public service announcement. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? This often came on before the news. Anybody remember that? that I mean, it's probably been 40 years since they had that on, on TV. But this, what's that? Or long, it certainly started before that. I think they stopped it around you know, the early 80s or so. But this would have come on right before the evening news as a uh, public service announcement, a reminder to parents uh, in the, from the 1960s to the 1980s to, hey, look around, where are my children? <laughs> it's kind of a, uh, there, weren't, there were not many helicopter parents back then, I guess. If you were sitting around your house at 10 p.m. and you had no idea where your children were uh, and the news needed to remind you of that, then that's a different situation than we often face today. Uh, my question is, it's 2022, do you know who's discipling your children? Our, our younger generation, the next generation, is being discipled. Uh, this, this is the dropout problem is a discipleship problem, primarily. They're being discipled either by you, your parents, or the church, uh, or by the culture. They're being discipled on things like identity, who they are, um, uh, sexual identity, sexual orientation, all, all those things, all of the the primary interest of the culture today, all the things, all the buzzwords that are being talked about all the time, uh, is some form of discipleship. And so the question is, are, are we being as deliberate as an, and intentional in our discipleship of the next generation as, as the rest of the culture is? Uh, and particularly, that's important because we're living in a culture that's primarily hostile to a biblical worldview on those, those fundamental questions. Let's talk about a few affirmations, things we can just kind of assert and, and hopefully accept all together. Uh, number one, the church is God's front line for evangelism and discipleship of youth and young adults. Uh, he has given us all we need. And why do I, why do I start with this? I, I start with this because I, I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus does not have a plan B outside of the church. The church is the way in which Christ is carrying out his purpose to bring redemption to to all those uh, who will trust in him. There's no other avenue that Jesus is using for that to happen except for the church. And and we need to we need to lean into that and believe that Jesus has given the church all that she needs to carry out her mission and our task is is to be faithful to that mission and to use the means of grace that he has given to us. The word of God, the preaching and the reading of the word of God, prayer, uh, the sacraments, fellowship among believers and the mutual ministry that comes across generations within the church. In other words, uh, as as Reformed Presbyterians, uh, we have a high view of of the church. We have a, a robust ecclesiology, in other words. We believe that Jesus is using the church as the main vehicle for carrying out his redemptive purposes in the world. And nothing changes that. The challenges that we find in the culture, uh, the hostility that the church faces from the surrounding culture, which is not unique to this time period. That's been the case since Jesus 
Um, since Jesus was on the earth, he told his disciples, the world hates me. Don't be surprised when they hate you. And yet, we're often surprised <laughs> for some reason. We didn't get the message. Uh, and, and I think we need to lean into this idea that the church is God's way of bringing redemption to the world and not, not feel like we need some other uh, plan for that. Second thing, relationships with parents and other Christian adults really do matter. They really do matter. Uh, I've said this before, I'll just go ahead and say it again, then I've got a little chart that may or may not be helpful, but uh, parents are, humanly speaking, parents are the number one uh, strongest influence, the most powerful influence on the religious lives of their children. Uh, Nothing compares to that influence of parents on their children. And that's that's a sword that cuts both ways, a double-edged sword, if you will. Um, if, if parents have a very low religious commitment, and, or, or even when it's super inconsistent, then typically the children will mimic that. What's past is prologue uh, to what's coming. And so parents are really important influence. In fact, in those cases where... So say you have a young adult who is highly committed to his faith, his or her faith. Just a very strongly committed Christian, but their parents were not. Okay, his his, his mom and dad were not strongly committed Christian. Almost a hundred percent of the time, at least according to the studies that have been done, there's the presence of another adult Christian in that person's life who influenced and shaped them in a way that helped them to learn to follow Jesus into adulthood. Um, very rarely do you have young adults who are Christians who didn't have that kind of shaping influence on them growing up uh, in, their, in their home particularly. So relationships with adults really matter. Uh, young adults are being formed in a culture that lacks clarity and I think that that ought to call us to be patient and sympathetic. Um, not longing for the good old days or just bemoaning uh, the, the next generation and how unclear they are on things. That's not, a, that's not an appropriate response for Christians to have uh, when thinking about the next generation. Our, our response ought to be patience, sympathy, trusting the Lord, praying, doing what He calls us to do. Uh, we really don't have time to kind of sit back and complain about it. We've got a lot of work to do, and, and we need to be patient and sympathetic. Um, at the same time, the Bible does not lack clarity. Uh, and, and the culture would like for you to think that the Bible lacks clarity on fundamental issues. And it doesn't. It, the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear in what it teaches with regard to salvation, with regard to who we are uh, as, as human beings made in the image of God. The Bible does not lack clarity about the most fundamental issues in life. And, and so while we interact with and love young people, teenagers, young adults, whatever the case may be, who are living in a time of great confusion about fundamental issues, we need to hold fast and be faithful to the clarity of the Bible about what the Bible says. And and you know this, when you do that, people are going to think you're weird. Uh, They're going to think that that's antiquated, that the Bible doesn't really speak to these issues clearly, or that if it does, it's totally irrelevant, whatever the case may be. Uh, People are going to think that, and you just need to ignore it. 
The Bible is clear and it's God's word. And so we need to hold fast to the clarity of it while helping those who are living in unclear times to, to see God's truth. All right, so those are affirmations. Any, any questions about any of those kind of basic foundational assumptions? I'm sure there are more that we could add, but we'll just we'll settle for uh, four of them. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you can see this. This is from Christian Smith's book, Souls in Transition. Uh, this was part of a, uh, an ongoing study over 10, 10 or so years. I'll, I'll focus in here. I worked really hard on this PowerPoint today. I even added some animation for you. So that was, that was bonus. No charge for that, James. Um, this is from Christian Smith's book, Souls in Transition. And this is a, uh, he has this chart of six pathways. Let me back up just so you can see the whole thing. There's six pathways for that typical young adults took who ended up with kind of a high religious commitment. So young adults who had um, you know, commitment to the church, commitment to Jesus, uh, religious lives is the way they would describe it. You know, they pray, they read the Bible, their, their faith is very important to them, the, those types of things. He says there's six pathways that most of these young adults took from kind of teenage years to adult years. And what I want you to see that, is that five out of the six have an emphasis on either parents, so parental, high parental religious service attendance, same there, same there, same there, uh, this one, for, for those people who grew up with where their parents were not highly involved in, in some sort of religious practice, you know, going to church, let's just call it that way, there were adults, there were other adults uh, who, were, who were involved in their lives who had strong commitments to Christ. And, and I'm just pointing that out to show you the data supporting the importance of parents and other adults in the lives of young people in helping them to trust and follow Jesus. This last group, by the way, the path six, this is like, I don't know, 4% of young adults who are highly committed to to their faith but didn't have strong adult influences. They are are considered the super spiritual ones, and they're kind of an anomaly. Uh, It's just very rare to see that. Uh, in a young person without adult influence. So that's just to kind of reinforce that, um, that importance of adults. All right, let's, let's get down to brass tacks, if, if you will. Um, so what? what? What do we do? What should we do with this? I've got three categories I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, what the church can do as the church. I'll talk about what parents and, and other adults, kind of a dual application, what parents and other adults can do, and then just... Talk to young people to maybe help you talk to you know peers or other young people that you may have relationships with who are you know maybe dropping out or, or whatever. Uh, so so what? Okay, for the church, it's important for the church to put your ecclesiology into practice. In other words, it's important for the church to be the church. And, and what do I mean by that? Part of what I mean is that we should avoid the one-eared Mickey Mouse model. There's the one-eared Mickey Mouse model. Uh, this is often what happens in churches. I, I, I don't think that that happens here at Bethel, but it's, it's a really common trend where you have the, the youth ministry is kind of its own thing. You see the one-eared Mickey Mouse? 
It kind of looks like a lopsided snowman, too, but the, it's been called the one-eared Mickey Mouse, so that's what we'll go with. You have the youth ministry, uh, most modern youth ministry. You have a youth pastor. He's kind of the guru. He understands the kids. He's fun. Maybe he wears shorts and like short-sleeve button-up shirts and Birkenstocks. He's probably got a beard or something. Yeah. He sounds very handsome. Yeah, he sounds very handsome. Very skilled, very important. You've got the youth minister, right? He's, and he is the, he's the guy for the youth, all right? And often what happens is the youth get kind of segmented off from the rest of the church. So you've got the youth in their own group, and there's no meaningful integration within the, the larger body of Christ at the local church. So this is my experience growing up. Uh, and and it's, it's not unusual for this to be uh, the experience of many youth growing up in the church. In fact, our, at my church growing up, our youth group sat together during church. We didn't sit with our families. Um, now, my dad didn't go to church. It was just my mom and my two older brothers were already out of the house. So I didn't want to sit with my mom. <laughs> would have, I mean, as a teenage guy, that was the last thing I wanted to do, even though I love my mom very much. But our whole youth group sat together. We kind of had our own section uh, in like the side of the church where we could make a lot of noise and pass notes and be silly and goof off because I mean that, this, this stuff was just for the adults the, the rest of this church stuff that wasn't really for us we had our thing later in the evening and that's when all the fun was had and so it creates a situation in which the, the youth are not integrated into the larger body of Christ and yet when you look at the Bible when you look at Westminster Confession of Faith, Reformed Theology's view of the church, there's no segmentation like that going on in the church. Um, and then this is not to say you shouldn't ever remove young people from the whole body. I mean, there are groups who would say that things like Sunday school are sinful. Not, I think that's a bit much, not saying that. But I do think that we can sometimes over-segment the ages, Pull, pull, just every time you come to church, pull your children away from your families, right? I mean, that, that often happens. And, and so you've got to balance it out. My point is that very often young people do not grow up in the church with a view that they really belong to the church. Church membership is kind of something for adults. And yet our, our theology teaches us that when we baptize our children... In our tradition, we baptize the infants of believing parents, at least one or uh, at least one believing parent. When we baptize our children, we are saying that they belong to the church. Baptism doesn't save them; we're not making that claim, but we are claiming that they belong to the community of God's people, and they have a right to the privileges of belonging to God's covenant community. And, and yet we often don't teach them to think of themselves as belonging to the church community in that way until they become adults. And then they have something to contribute. But until then, they are to be served and not to serve. Uh, very often, I'm, I'm exaggerating to, to make a point, you understand. And so part of what we need to be doing is, is putting our ecclesiology into practice and, and helping young people to view themselves as belonging to the church, regardless of their age. Now, we want them to make a profession of faith. We do make that distinction and all that. But we need them, we want them to view themselves as belonging to the body of Christ. And therefore, having obligations and responsibilities. 
We need to work towards, in other words, a fundamental integrity in the expectations of belonging to the covenant community regardless of age. So, you know, just a simple example. What a wonderful thing to see uh, middle school and high schoolers helping with the younger children downstairs for vacation Bible school. That's a, that's a simple, great example of, of calling our young people to say, hey, you belong to the church. The Spirit has given you gifts for the common good, to serve the church of Jesus Christ with gifts for ministry. And one way you can do that is you can help with the children in vacation Bible school. Uh, you, can, you can go with your parents to go visit other people in the church. You, you matter. Jesus has given you gifts by His Holy Spirit, and you, get, you are a part of the body. You are an integral part of the body. Uh, at, our, at our church, we often say when somebody joins the church, um, so Steve and Regina Brown joined the church recently, and, and what we said was, before they came, there was a Steve and Regina Brown-sized hole at our church, and only they could fill it, because the Spirit has given them gifts for ministry, for service in the church, and they belong, and, and they are called to serve and to use those gifts in ministry. Why don't we do that with our children? Um, why, why don't we call them to have that same view of themselves, you know, Expectations change with age, obviously. The four-year-old can't do a lot. But they can think about themselves. We can teach them to think about themselves as, as belonging uh, to the church in a fundamental way. Every member is needy. All of you have needs. Every member is needed. Uh, uh, to quote, to borrow from Ed Welch, uh, his book, Side by Side. And we need to prioritize intergenerational over age-segmented ministry. Again, this is not to say you should never draw children out or have things that are specific to younger children. They learn differently. I mean, those things are obvious. That's, that's, there's benefits of that. Uh, but it can be overdone. And so the church needs to think about helping our children grow, grow up with a view that all of these people are part of my people, Right? That I belong to this bigger group, not just the small group that fits my age. Because a lot of times, if you think about um, high school students graduating from high school and then going to college, and that dropout, that hiatus that often happens from the church, what type of people are they mainly spending time with during those four, or if you're me, six college years? What, what types of people are they mainly around? What's that? Okay, okay, less religious. That that's often the case. But in terms of age, yeah, they're around their own peers. Four years. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But we miss something when we don't have connection with the broader generations. And, and so often we are kind of you know training kids in advance that the most important community they have is their peers. And, and the Bible has a broader vision of the people of God than just the people your age. It's not mono-generational, it's multi-generational. And, and so there's value in that. We need to help our, our, young, children, our young people to appreciate that. And then finally, uh, deliberately encourage local church involvement during college uh, in addition to campus ministries. Campus ministries at colleges are, are really, really important and play a pivotal role, I think, in helping college students stay connected to the local church. How many of you, just show of hands, for those who, who went to college, I don't know how many of you 
went that path. But for those of you who went to college, how many of you were involved in some sort of campus ministry while you were in college? Okay. Would you say that that was, that that encouraged your faith and commitment to the local church in any way? James is saying no, and I know he's lying. In church, he's lying in church. I think it was a joke, so it's a different. It's not a lie, you know. <laughs> it was totally a lie. By the way, there, there's something about. I mean, you can't a campus ministry can't substitute for the local church because it's not the church. Uh, there's only one church, but that I think campus ministries often serve a vital role uh, for helping college students love Jesus better and love love the church. But I think churches serve a role in you know, deliberately seeking the spiritual welfare and, and being interested in the spiritual welfare of our college students who are often at a distance. Uh, in the PCA, in my denomination, we have something called associate membership. Do y'all have this in the ARP, James? So it's like, you know, if you have a college student, no, maybe not. Anyway, the PCA has it. Okay, we do. You do. Okay, good. Um, it's it's uh, the idea is kind of like if somebody's going to be living somewhere for a, a temporary period of time, they're not permanently moving there, so they want to retain their membership in their home church, but they also want to be under the you know the the shepherding authority of a session of elders in another church. They can have associate membership. So I think like they can they can't vote in congregational meetings, but they they enjoy the privileges of being under a group of elders and and so forth. Uh, we often try to encourage that among our college students who we know they're going to be gone for four years and maybe they're going to uh, you know, the greatest school in South Carolina. Clemson, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, or the Citadel. Uh, we want them to understand that where they're going, this is not four-year vacation from church, that they're still a member of the church and we want them to uh, connect to the local church wherever they Maybe and so churches should be consider about how to how to deliberately encourage that and, and maybe that's the pastor makes a trip down to uh, Clemson. I mean, why not go to Clemson for for any reason? But particularly if you have students there and you want to, you're going to take them out to lunch. You're going to ask how they're doing. Are you going to church? You know, well, I know the pastor of this great church, and you make some connections. Just deliberately thinking about and, and taking steps to help them. Make that good choice. It's not always going to happen. Be gracious, but encourage it. Be deliberate about it. Um, or for you parents, think about as, as your children are looking at, church, at uh, colleges, maybe one of the questions, I don't know, maybe one of the questions we ought to be asking is, is there a solid church near this university or college? Is there a campus ministry there that's going to help them love, trust, and follow Jesus and love his church? Those ought to be, in, in some ways, those, those ought to be up there on the same level of, does this have my major that I'm going to change three times once I get there? You know, we, we put a lot of priority on, on the college, but we often don't emphasize spiritual life when they're there, uh, as we're making that decision, I mean. Okay, so those are some things for the church. Uh, so what for parents, and, and I'm, I'm borrowing some of this, uh, not everything, but some of this is from Christian Smith's article from First Things called Keeping the Faith, which in some ways is a, a summary of a book that he and another writer wrote recently about 
uh, passing down faith from one generation to the next. Uh, now, he's, he's a Catholic sociologist, so you, you know, use discernment. But it, it is a helpful article, I think. So for parents, what are things that parents can be thinking about? This ought to be no surprise. Live out your faith humbly, explicitly, consistently, and warmly. Um, you know, kids have great sniffers for hypocrisy or inconsistency. I feel like my kids call me out on stuff all the time that I'm not even aware I'm doing, but they're paying attention. <laughs> and it's shaping them, it's forming them. And we should not undervalue the impact of, of simply living for Jesus Christ in the home, having integrity in our lives uh, before our children's watching eyes and, and letting them know the importance of faith in Jesus Christ for, for your life. Um, you know, be who you are in Christ. And love the Lord Jesus with heart, soul, mind, and strength and do that before your children in a humble way uh, that's warm as well. Christian Smith talks about parenting styles and, and he highlights what he calls, I don't think he made this up, but he calls it the authoritative, affectionate parenting style. Having clear boundaries wrapped in the warmth of love, which sounds, I don't think he's saying this, but it sounds like Paul's exhortation in Ephesians to um, you know, put off lying and those types of things and speak the truth in love. Uh, there's, there's a need for both. If we're all truth and no love, it's often said, then it's just condemnation. You, know, you bring the truth and you bring it hard. There's no warmth of affection. There's no earnest pleading. It's just, here's the truth, take it or leave it, and oftentimes it ends up in condemnation. If it's all love and no truth, then oftentimes that turns into license and just kind of, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to give you any boundaries. I'm just going to love you no matter what. And yet the Bible calls us to that balance of, of truth and love as kind of the guardrails for the way uh, here that we um, parent our children. Having clear boundaries, but having a warmth of affection for them. Which is just another way of saying, strive to have a good relationship with your children. You know, if, if they see you loving Jesus and, and trusting the Lord, walking in repentance and faith, uh, you know, they forgive inconsistencies. They're not going to expect you to be perfect. And it's, if that is coupled with a warm love for your children, uh, then, then that makes a positive impression. It's certainly one of the many ways the Holy Spirit uses parents in the lives of, of children for their spiritual health. Have spiritual conversations regularly. Uh, faith in Jesus is not uh, one drawer among many, but it's the dresser in which all the drawers fit. You know, sometimes we have... Um, you, know, you have the sports drawer, you have the work drawer, you have the relationship drawer, you've got the Jesus drawer. And you know, sometimes one's at the top and over another, but they're all kind of equal priorities or whatever priority I give them. And so Jesus is just one drawer among many. And yet scripture calls us to follow Jesus in the totality of life, that to submit to his lordship in all things. And, and one of the ways we can demonstrate that in our families is talking about the Lord, talking about the impact of our faith on our daily lives. How, how does what we do on Sunday impact what I do on Monday? Am I viewing my work throughout the week as in some way an offering of worship to God, or whatever your work may be? 
If you're a Christian, you, you are worshiping God with the way that you uh, work, the way that you serve and love your neighbor. Uh, your work is a part of that, carrying out that great commandment. And so we need to be talking regularly about Jesus in ways that don't feel awkward or, you know, just because you got in trouble, your dad's going to talk to you about Jesus, which is maybe, I felt like that's what I got. Uh, every time I got in trouble, there was a, you know, the pastor showed up and had a conversation with me about something. Oh, is this when I need Jesus? <laughs> you know, just right now? But I need him always. Uh, involve the church and other adults. Um, take advantage of the covenant community. Uh, connect your children with other Christian adults. Let them see how people other than you follow Jesus. Because you're all going to have idiosyncrasies about the way that you follow Christ, about the things that are most important to you as a Christian that are going to be different from other families, from other Christian adults. And there's a benefit of kind of widening the scope of influence among other trusted Christian adults, uh, helping them to see, you know, the way I live for Jesus is not the only way. And there's, there's other, there's, I think there's value in that and kind of keeping it from being as narrow as, as your, your particular example. Trust God. Uh, pray. Trust the Lord. Uh, that should not go without saying. We're, we're talking about things to do, but all of it is undergirded by God's sovereignty, His grace. Uh, so trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Some of you may have situations where you've got... Uh, young adult children, you're concerned about them, or grandchildren, you're, you're, you're worried about their spiritual life, their faith, and you, you're just grasping, what can I do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do to solve this problem? And, and there are certainly things to do after you are praying. <laughs> but, but you can't do less than that. Uh, we have to be praying and trusting the Lord to carry out His work um, in ways that are helpful. I, th- I thought I had something else on there, but let me let, let me just make a quick comment about um, spiritual conversations. We we live in a, a time that, because of all of the kind of cultural issues that are going on, it's a great opportunity for Christian discipleship in the home. Uh, you you have almost daily opportunities to help your children, to help young people. Think about how to live as a follower of Jesus in a world that uh, is, is antithetical to that and, and what it teaches and the things that the world believes. And so it's a great opportunity for you to have conversations with your children about stuff they're going to be talking about anyway. If they're in the public school or even if they're in a private school, they're going to hear about um, you know, homosexuality. They're going to hear about transgender identity. They're going to hear about gender fluidity. Uh, non-binary, they're going to hear all of the things and we are often afraid to talk about those things because they're difficult, right? They are difficult things to talk about in a way that's helpful and, and biblical. It's, it's, some of these things are very difficult to understand, I think. And, but it's important to believe that the Bible is clear, that the Bible is powerful, and the Bible speaks to these issues. So make, make yourself uh, aware of good resources this is one. Uh, ten questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity. Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, you won't agree with everything she says, as a caveat of every book you recommend. Uh, you won't agree with everything that she says, but this is a helpful book that you could go through with your, um, your young adult child or your grandchild or, what, or whoever, your teenager, 
to help them think about the world in which they're living from a biblical perspective. So don't be afraid to talk about uh, those issues. She's also got another book called The Secular Creed, um, kind of based off, you probably see the, the yard signs. This is a home that believes um, you know, love is love, uh, uh, and whatever, all the other secular slogans. Right? She kind of goes through those in the book and kind of thinks about them from a Christian perspective. So it's very helpful. It's aimed at kind of addressing some of those issues going on in the world. But take advantage. Talk to your children about those things. Help them see that the Bible is relevant to all of life and has answers uh, for all of life. Okay, we got through all this. All right, we're almost done. I'm going to wrap it up. And then I want to, I want to tell a, a quick story. Uh, for young adults, I think it's important to help our young adults believe and understand that identity, freedom, uh, joy is found in Christ and not in self. And, and the reason why that's important today, it's always important, but the reason why it's important today is because we're living in a world that's, that's the message of the world that is being kind of hammered over and over and over again is that uh, if, if you want to know who you are, you look within, not without. That freedom and joy is found in self, not in something outside of ourselves. And yet the message of the scriptures is that our, our identity is found ultimately in who we are in union with Jesus Christ. Uh, that he is our hope. Uh, your life is hid with Christ in God. And, and it will be revealed when Christ appears in glory. And, and so it's, it's kind of just one of those messages that needs to be hit frequently. That identity and joy is found in Jesus and not in ourselves. We need to encourage our young adults that the habits they form now will affect them and shape them in the future. Think long term. Don't just think here and now, but, but think about the implications of choices they're making. And of course, we're always doing that with our children, encouraging them to think beyond just the immediate gratification of what's in front of them. Uh, and then finally, to remember that Jesus loves the church. He gave his life for his church, his bride. He loves his bride. And if we belong to Jesus, we, we should also. And so maybe if you've got uh, young adults in this situation who have made profession of faith in Jesus Christ, belong to a church, and yet they've kind of disconnected, they've dropped out, it's a good opportunity to ask some questions. Just, just lay the questions out there. You don't have to answer them for them. Just ask the questions. Let them think about uh, the questions like, um, why, what reason do you have for not being connected to the church that Jesus loves? Are you simply out of the habit because you went to college and maybe you didn't have a, a ride or there wasn't a good church or, or whatever the case may be? There may be reasons for it. Uh, or do you have legitimate challenges, legitimate questions that you need to explore? Very often, I think people are just, they're not asking the hard questions. They're just disconnecting and settling into that habit of life. And so maybe it's an opportunity to just lay some of those questions out. Is it consistent with the Bible to claim Christ and yet neglect his bride? Those are just some questions we ought to be asking ourselves or helping young people to ask themselves, rather. Let me, let me close with uh, two, two illustrations, one related to the need to talk about the issues of the day 
and the other just as an example of, of how relationships matter and, and the hope that you can have that some folks who drop out do come back and, and find joy and hope and maturity in Jesus Christ and there's, there's, good, there's good stories to be, to be found. Uh, Tim Keller, who's a, a retired pastor in, in my denomination up in New York City, um, he, he was on a podcast interview, I don't know, some time ago that I was listening to, and he was talking about the importance of catechizing the next generation. Y'all, y'all are Presbyterians, so you, we have catechisms, the shorter catechism, larger catechism, tools of helping to pass down faith from one generation to the next. And he pointed out, I never thought about this or never had reason to think about this, he pointed out that if you read the Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, part of our doctrinal tradition, that there's very few questions about the nature of God. You know, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and is being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Um, and I'm going to get that in the child's catechism mixed up because I'm doing communicants class. Is there more than one true God? No, wait, that's not. That's the child's catechism. Uh, no, there is only one true God. Uh, the, the, you basically got two or three questions in the shorter catechism about the character of God. And then you've got, or the being and character of God. And then you've got all of these questions about the order of salvation. Justification by faith. Adoption. Sanctification the nature of effectual calling and union with Christ. You've got a whole long section dealing with those questions and only a couple dealing with the nature and character of God. Now, is that because the Westminster, the guys who wrote that, didn't think it was important to talk about who God is? So they say, well, we just need a couple questions because it's not really that important for us to know who the true God is. Is that what they were doing? No. It's because those things were all settled, right? And, and who, was, who was the main kind of antagonist that they would have had in view that they were trying to train their children against in the 17th century? What was the, what was the other option? If they weren't going to be Protestant Christians, what was the other option they were going to be? They were going to be Catholic Christians. And so you've got the doctrine of God. Well, we, we, we share the same biblical faithful confessions with the Catholics about who God is. The triune God. I mean, we don't have any difference in that, largely. Um, but when you talk about how are you made right with God, well, you got a lot of differences. And so they, they wrote this catechism to help their children know the difference between Protestant Christianity and Catholic Christianity. And so they focused on the thing that was the main difference. And Keller argues that we're living in a time now where the alternative option is not Protestant Christianity or Catholic Christianity. The alternative is Protestant Christianity, even for us, or secularism. And so that in some ways, the catechizing that we need to be doing with the next generation ought to be helping, to, helping them to think about how the Christian worldview differs from the secular worldview. And, and so a, a book like, like this or the secular creed, and there's, there's probably dozens of other books, would help us do that. Because the reality is, if, if they're leaving Protestant Christianity, they're, they're becoming secular. Because that's the trend now. More and more young people are becoming less and less religious at younger ages. And so we need to be helping them to know the difference between the two and to think about it that way. Uh, final, final example or, or story. 
we had a young man in our church, his name's Glenn, and uh, Glenn grew up coming to our church. He's, he's a little bit older than I am, just by a few years. And uh, he came with his mom. His dad did not attend church, although his dad professed, professed faith and had grown up in the Presbyterian church. And so Glenn grew up coming to our church as a, as a young person, was involved in the youth group, and then kind of towards the end of youth group, or the end of high school rather, just kind of dropped off. Uh, and there were lots of reasons for that. But he, and so he spent... You know, from the end of high school until probably age 40, disconnected from the local church. Uh, and at a certain period in his life, his, his dad was having some particular troubles. His mom was a member of our church. His dad was having some significant issues. And uh, so my other, the pastor that I work with or used to work with, he and I went over to visit Glenn's dad try to minister to him and, 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 and try to encourage him to be connected to a church. It's part of the issue we were working on with him. And as we were sitting there talking to uh, Glenn's dad, he uh, and we're talking about the importance of being involved in the body of Christ and connected to other Christians for your Christian life and so forth. He said, he said you know, I, I mean, I don't need the church. Church is full of hypocrites. Uh, I, I watch Charles Stanley every Sunday morning. Why do I need to go to church? And you know, as we were listening to him and talking to him, I, ju- I just said, I hadn't thought about it you know, ahead of time, but I just said, you know, that's great that you watch Charles Stanley, but those people on TV don't know you and they don't love you. But there's a local church that knows you and that wants to love you as a member of the body of Christ. And, and then the conversation went on. He, he, never, he never came. <laughs> it, wasn't, you know, it didn't work. But Glenn was sitting there, and, and he heard us talking to his dad and, and trying to love his dad in a difficult situation and telling his dad, there's a group of people who love Jesus and they love you, and it's really important that you be connected to this group of people if you love Jesus, because that's the design that Jesus has given us. And so even though we didn't, we didn't fix Glenn's dad, but the Lord used that in, in Glenn's life. And so in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of just Christians showing up and trying to demonstrate love, uh, Glenn came back to church and renewed his commitment to Jesus Christ and, and began to grow in godliness and, and in his love for the Lord. He was single. He found a Christian woman. He got married later in life uh, and has continued to walk with the Lord and, and help raise you know, now their children to love and trust Jesus. Uh, he's one of our deacons and a faithful member of the church. I say all that just to, just to say, you never know how God will use you, and so take advantage of those opportunities through relationships that you may already have, through conversations, through questions. Uh, as you're reaching out to those who are kind of in the gap, there's lots of ways to mind the gap, and you never know what God will use. And it's our task to try to be faithful to what he's called us to do. All right, we'll stop there. We've got four minutes remaining until 7.30. Do y'all have any, any questions? Now, there's a lot of talking, but do y'all have any questions about any of this? Yes? Okay, are there any particular podcasts that I think are helpful either on this topic or in general? Uh, I listen to weird things, so I won't tell you all the things that I listen to because then you'll think less highly of me. But I'll tell you some things that are helpful for, for this topic. There's a group, I think I referenced them earlier in the week, called uh, CPYU, the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. They've got a podcast 
Uh, Walt Mueller is the director of that, and he interviews people. They have interesting conversations about a lot of these topics. That's a great podcast to listen to. Um, I, I don't, does anybody subscribe to World Magazine? Anybody? Okay. Yeah, I used to. Renew your subscription. You should renew your subscription. It's good. Um, you, you act according to your own conscience. You don't have to do what I'm telling you to do. It's a good magazine. Uh, journalism from biblical worldview is very helpful. They have a podcast called The World and Everything in it. It's just a daily kind of 30-minute news thing from a biblical perspective. Um, I, I had to stop listening to NPR. I love NPR. I've listened to it all my adult life. Just, I want to know what's going on in the world. And I just had to stop listening to it in the last few months because uh, everything's so polarized. It's kind of just hard to swallow. So I started listening to the world and everything. And it's probably more edifying for my soul anyway. But uh, that's a good podcast. And then there's a group called RYM, Reformed Youth Ministries. They have a podcast uh, on, on youth ministry. I can't remember what it's called. But they, if you're interested in youth ministry type topics, they have, a, they have a, lots of interesting conversations uh, on there, uh, that's that's probably. Does that answer your question? Okay. I've been told that when you're answering questions in a group, that you should not respond at the end of it by saying, "Does that answer your question?" So I just broke that rule, but I think it's a fair question to ask, right? <laughs> Any other questions? James, did you have a question? Sure. You do have a question? Yeah, I'll, I'll take one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tell us about your bluegrass group. Uh, my bluegrass group. All right, yeah. So we've got a, it's not really a bluegrass group. That's, that's a generous term. We have, we have a few guys at our church who play uh, stringed instruments. So I play the mandolin. Glenn, who I was telling you about, plays the banjo. Uh, he's, an, he's the only true musician among us. Uh, one of our elders is a uh, judge for the 16th. Uh, circuit in which includes your county he plays the fiddle um, because he stands up when he plays it if you're sitting down it's a violin but if you're standing up playing it it's a fiddle so he plays the fiddle and then we've got a couple other guys who play guitar and then we have some of our, our youth group guys my son and a few other uh, in the youth group who play instruments we include them in that um, for worship so we have we have fun with that do you all play at other churches do we play at other churches we try not to. Although, uh, we did, there's a, have y'all heard about, is this recording, James? Yes. Can we stop? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah ten minutes 